The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. And hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, IGN's weekly PlayStation show covering all the latest in the world of PlayStation. There's PlayStation news. There's PlayStation games. There's a lot to talk about this week, so we're going to get into it in just a second. But before we do, I'm joined this week by Brian Altano. Hey, what's up? Beyond. Beyond, Brian. And special guest, Joseph Moran. Joseph, thank you so much for joining us. Happy to have you here. Beyond. Beyond. I'm thrilled Beyond. to be here. Thank Very, you for having me. Very happy to have you. Uh, for those who may not know you, you are the host of The Trophy Room, another PlayStation podcast that if you aren't out there listening to, you should be listening to, uh, one, because you can never have enough PlayStation in your life, uh, but two, because it's a really great show. I, I've I've been listening uh, since we first sort of connected on Twitter, and you guys put together a really good show, but for those who may not know, Thank if you, you want to sort of give the elevator pitch for, for uh, The Trophy Room. Yeah, man. So the Trophy Room is a PlayStation podcast made by the players for the players, where me and my best friend Kyle talk about the latest, the greatest in all things PlayStation. Each and every Thursday, you can find us on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcast service of choice. And we're greatly inspired by the podcast like Podcast Beyond. We really want to just have a sit down where just two friends in a room chatting about PlayStation, having fun and bringing all sides, types of different people to the podcasting realm to talk PlayStation. It is one of my favorite things to do each and every week. And that is because my co-host Kyle is possibly the greatest human being I've ever met. So if you're into PlayStation, you like to have a good time every now and again with PlayStation and all that jazz, go check us out. On the trophy room, PlayStation this is good, podcast. This is very good pitch. Is it great? Oh, really? I yeah. thought it was like yeah. mediocre at best. I was like, no, 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 no. That was that was midway <laughs> through. I was like, maybe I stop. <laughs> <laughs> if you had just stop. given up halfway through, I would have been like, oh, he's not committed to this thing. But no, you, you did great, Jonathan. It is worth pointing out that this podcast currently that uh, you are that everyone's listening to at home is, uh, I believe, sixty six point six percent New Jersey. Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So well, and one hundred percent the tri state area. Tri state area. So, that's right. Yeah. It's very important. We, uh, yeah, for everyone uh, in the tri-state area, know you're at home, know you're with family on, mm-hmm. on Podcast right. Beyond. We had, we had, right before we started recording, we had a very uh, jovial slash heated debate about pizza and mm-hmm. the best of the pizzas. And uh, we're, we're, in, we're in good spirits today and I'm yeah. starving and it's something in the morning. So. <laughs> Which I'll let you both know. And obviously, uh, you know, it, with your permission, Red, our producer, was capturing a little bit of that. So we can post some of it maybe later. Oh, beautiful. Well. Oh, good. Otherwise, beautiful. we can, you know, throw it into the ether. Yeah. But anyway. Listen, it's a, big, it's a big time in Jersey right now. 
because we got many saints in newark coming that's right this podcast so like it's almost like it's a it's a little like holiday happening here in right. Tracy. <laughs> I, yeah. I I I think I I drove past Satin Dolls which was Bada Bing's oh. from Sopranos oh, yeah. 7 million times, right? Yeah, yeah. how many yeah. it's and it's really what's the what's really sad about it sorry to hijack the show. It's right next to a uh Party City which is a like a children's yep. party yep. accessory store. So it's super weird cuz it's like you have the Sopranos strip club all the crazy stuff went down on that show. They also, I believe they have a buffet. I've never actually gone in it. And it's right next to Party City for all of your, you know, children's birthday party needs. So that that's about as New off. Jersey as it gets. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is uh, incredible. And uh, yeah, so for all of those out there in New Jersey, know, know that uh, you, you have family here, even if I'm from Long Island. But uh, mm -hmm. the only thing I was going to say was just to, to cap off the New Jersey talk was we were in... Uh, uh, one of our uh, IGN team mor morning meetings recently, and Lucy O'Brien, of course, not from New Jersey, famously, mm -hmm. uh, had to pronounce the many saints of Newark. Uh, and let me tell you, when you've never been from or near Newark, apparently Newark is not the easiest name to say. <laughs> um, yeah. Gave her some trouble, but uh, it, it was a very funny moment where I was just like, oh yeah, Newark was just a thing that I talked about all the time because of the Newark airport. Like, that was just a yeah. thing. I actually had a coworker reach out to me after that meeting and he was like, Hey, um, I'm just checking in. Are you okay? I heard the way <laughs> Lucy mispronounced Newark, and I wanted to make sure you were doing all right. You took a couple of days off after that. I remember it was pretty tough. But uh, and you were like, "It's okay. It's just Newark. It's fine." <laughs> uh, anyway. It's a tough thing for my family to go through. It's very difficult for us. A very difficult time. We'll uh, we'll have our many saints of Newark spoiler cast in the the coming weeks. But before we get there, uh, there is plenty of PlayStation news to talk about this week, including, of course, one of the reasons we moved the show to record on Wednesdays so that we don't miss the PlayStation Plus games for a whole week. Uh, and we were rewarded with October's PlayStation Plus lineup. Uh, PlayStation uh, on the PlayStation blog posted that starting Tuesday, October fifth, you will be able to download these three following games for PlayStation Plus users. Hell Let Loose for PS5, Mortal Kombat 10, not the most recent Mortal Kombat, for PS4, and PGA Tour 2K21 for PS4 as well. Um, Brian? Okay, together at last. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as we've always wanted, Mortal Kombat hitting, hitting the links uh, yeah. in mm -hmm. the middle of... Uh, Hell Let Loose is the, the newest game of the group, and just to give a little focus of that, because it's a name I heard... Uh, in recent months, but didn't know what it was. Uh, the official description reads, this World War II-inspired multiplayer player, excuse me, title splices epic 100-player battles with a unique resource-based RTS-inspired metagame where commanders direct the flow of battle and coordinate powerful in-game abilities that influence the team's march to victory. Team up and tackle enemy combatants online in 50v50 skirmishes across a dynamically shifting front line, choose one of 14 playable roles, uh, within infantry recon and armored unit types, each equipped with authentic weapons, vehicles, and equipment. That's a lot of uh, industry jargon in there yeah. to describe the game. Uh, Joseph, I don't know if this one has been at all on your radar. I've seen a few people tweeting about it recently, but yeah. uh, it, I, I like when multiplayer games like this launch into PlayStation Plus because it gives them the audience that they need built in. But uh, it, it sort of, I really has not had this one on my radar. So I don't know if it's one that you've at all known. So just it's kind of curious here. Yeah, no, I'm, this one is absolutely new to me as well. I've heard a little bit about it here or there, but it's something that I'm definitely going to be trying out um, because it's on PlayStation 5 and I'm lucky enough to be one of the chosen few. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, ex I'm actually really excited to check that out because I love a good World War II shooter um, because I'm a big history buff. So to me, I'm excited for that. 
Mortal Kombat, I can't wait to just get destroyed by the easiest AI. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I'm I, so, I'm Mortal, Mortal Kombat thing is kind of a bummer because that's a that's part of the PlayStation Plus collection on PS5 oh, already, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, I believe. And right. so, like, I feel yeah. like that's kind of a wasted slot uh, for for PS5 owners. Uh, I guess if you have a PS4, that's a good deal, right? And there's millions mm-hmm. of you out there. But if you have a PS5 already, you're one of the lucky few that bought one off of Joseph in a parking lot in New Jersey. He's a huge scalper, which he also... That's right. That's not, not true. I'm not 18 in my there. trunk right now. No, no, no. Absolutely. <laughs> at me, at Mr. Badbit will... You're you know, actually you're sitting, you're sitting on a throne of the, right right underneath <laughs> yeah. the shop. No, I, I feel like that's kind of a bummer to me because I, I would have loved to have something else there that I don't already have access through to the PS Plus collection. But if you have a PS4, uh, definitely a cool addition. Super fun game. What's interesting to me is when these sorts of games come up, um, and, and Joseph, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. The thing that we talk about mm-hmm. on the show a lot with PlayStation Plus is like, man, it's such a good way to get people a spotlight on games they may have missed or new games that, you know, might be worthy of their attention. So a game like Hella Loose being in here from the jump, I, I get, you know, as a game to get people's eyes on it. But stuff like Mortal Kombat 10 and PGA Tour 21, I like I. I guess they are good inclusions if you miss those games, but MK11 is the most recent one. That's where the player base yeah. is going to be. That's where people are going to be have their focus. It it feels like a a missed opportunity of a slot. But but how do you generally feel about like the PlayStation Plus collection or PlayStation Plus lineups? Excuse me. And, and honestly, I think they've been really good for the past year. They've given me a lot of opportunities to check out some games that I normally wouldn't have. Like the first one that actually comes to mind is Maneater. How much dumb fun that game actually is. I know our community is super psyched for Plague Tale Innocence, which I got to play, but then I've gotten to uh, re-jump into it with the PlayStation 5 version. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's been a few misses here or there, but there's been a, you know, there's been a couple of bug snacks along the way. To get us excited. <laughs> I think this month too is is pretty good. Again, like with Hell at Loose, that gives more PlayStation 5 owners something to play. And then even when it comes to like MK10, I did not know that was on the PlayStation Plus collection. And I was just like, you know what? Maybe I'll maybe I'll actually jump into that game as well. And I know like PGA is uh is a series that is ever growing in the 2K lineup. So I think overall I'm I'm pretty satiated. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yeah, it's definitely and, and Brian, we've talked about this a lot. It has definitely been a better year in the last year uh, than there was a quiet doldrum year or two where it was kind of like, what is PlayStation Plus anymore? Yeah, this um, is probably my least favorite month in a while. Um, I think there's some interesting stuff in there, but like for somebody who has no interest in golf, already has access to Mortal Kombat uh, 10 and hasn't played Hell at Loose yet. I'll give that one a shot for sure. But of the three, I mean, I'm thinking about the days where we used to get like four or five games. Now we're down to three. One of them I already have, and one of them is golf. So, <laughs> uh, if you love golf. Good even, month, though. It's not even everybody's golf. No, uh, but true. it's just some people's golf. Some people's golf. The <laughs> the PGA Tours golf. Uh, but anyway, that is uh, the lineup that you can look forward to next week, starting Tuesday, October fifth. Uh, so, if those games interest you uh, and you're, you're a PlayStation Plus subscriber, you'll have access next week. Moving on from there, though, did want to mention uh, another news story that popped up this morning so that we didn't miss it. Uh, And the big news here is that sort of another PlayStation acquisition was announced because now PlayStation Studios themselves are acquiring studios. Uh, This morning, we got word that Firespite, uh, I think the newest studio to join the PlayStation Studios lineup, uh, announced that it had completed the acquisition of a Manchester-based studio I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation, but uh, Fabrique Games, uh, which Ooh. is, you know, 
shortly after the Fire Spite was uh, acquired by PlayStation themselves. So I looked into uh, Fabrique a little bit and they seem to have a, uh, they apparently did work with the studio previously on The Persistence, which was Fire Spite's uh, last big game, uh, and seemed to dabble both in VR and horror a little bit to a certain extent. So uh, the, it seems like they are probably prepping to help Fire Spite with whatever they have coming next. And, and that just sort of ups the number of people. This now puts the studio at uh, 265 employees, which is a, a pretty massive studio to just wow, instantly yeah. join the fold. Um, Brian, I did want to just touch briefly on the idea of like, whoa, the, the PlayStation has been on this sort of like acquisition bent that they haven't been on for years. And suddenly in this year, we've seen a, a lot more from them. Uh, an acquisition like this might fly under the radar, but I, I think it's really cool to see such a brand new studio already making moves to further solidify their base. Um, we haven't talked about Firespite a ton on the show, but I'm curious what you think of just like these new studios coming in, sort of shoring up their their staff size, that getting ready for these new productions. What do you kind of hope to see, you know, going into the PS5 from them and, and the other acquisitions? I mean, the the VR horror thing is like very, very exciting to me as a, as a concept. Um, I feel like they are charging up this like huge laser beam when it comes to the PS5 VR or PS VR 2, whatever they want to call it. Um, it's going to take a while to get there, right? We've talked about this in the past on the show about how it's impossible enough to find a PS5 right now. So selling a 300 something dollar peripheral for it is probably not the best call right this second, but they'll get there. Eventually those, those planets will kind of align. So I like the idea of them basically building up like an entire army of studios here and studios under those studios. And if we get more horror stuff, more first person horror stuff, more VR horror stuff, I'm very into that. Um, not necessarily saying that's exactly what they'll do, but that's me uh, openly asking for that because that's awesome. <laughs> that's exactly what the kind of stuff I want. Those are the experiences I want in in VR. Uh, like I'm a huge horror fan. I'm a huge fan of horror video games, and I love VR stuff. And that's I don't usually get get scared playing uh, like traditional 3D, you know, open world or you know, kind of third person VR stuff. Resident Evil Eight had some like like definitely creepy moments and some cool horror stuff in it. But VR, man, that's 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 when we get into the you know change the boxer shorts territory. <laughs> so, <laughs> I haven't put my pants playing VR before, but who knows? Fire spite, be the first team to first make time me poop for everything. Pants. Yeah, uh, <laughs> fire spite challenge, make us poop our pants. Uh, we'll, we'll see you in a few years for whatever game you develop. Um, Joseph, I'm curious to hear from you both. I, I guess on the horror side, but just in general on the on the acquisition side of things, what you you've thought about all PlayStation's recent moves? Yeah, this these moves. These moves really interest me. I, I really like the the relationship PlayStation seems to have with these studios before the, their acquisitions. And when I see this one uh, with, what was it? Fabrique, you said? I'm, I'm saying Fabrique. It's F-A-B-R-I-K. I assume mm -hmm. there is some sort of vowel pronunciation I am butchering yeah. in there. But uh... Well, the, then people at that studio ain't my fault. Blame Dornbush. <laughs> yeah. But um it's that's a really interesting one because i know you know from from the little i know of this industry i know sometimes devs like to partner up with each other on um, projects to push certain ones along the way um housemark i know has a, a buddy studio that they kind of have a buddy cop relationship with when they're um uh uh creating their game so to me it's like okay so they have a, a really tight-knit relationship and they're kind of wanting to solidify that even further that's exciting and when it comes to what fire sprites actually making that's the other thing it's like yeah this could be 
you know, some VR stuff or, you know, some big multiplayer thing because PlayStation seems to have that little bit of an obsession with uh, as of late. And yeah, that really excites me because as a PSVR owner and someone that loves that tech, I feel like as the years go on, I feel like it gets less and less love so much so that's kind of it's kind of like a Vita situation where it's collecting dust. So mm-hmm. I would love to see them have some type of horror element horror game um in there and as a great son that i am i know i'm going to put the vr goggles on my mother and she's gonna have to play one of those <laughs> horror games i'm a really great son i did that with her at the in the kitchen demo and uh oh, it was the God. funniest thing i've ever seen in my life she had no idea how to take the headset off you have a youtube None. series right there for you that's perfect yeah, um, yeah. but yeah i no, i totally get where you're coming from and, and brian to your point as well um, what, what's cool, I think, about what Firespy did with the persistence is it originally was for it came out in VR, but they did make a version that you can play out of VR. So I would imagine most likely I would I, I would guess and Brian and, and Joseph, I'm curious to hear from both of you. But like that idea right now, Brian, as you were saying, uh, asking people to buy a hundred dollars more, a couple hundred dollars more uh, attachment when they can barely find the console in the first place is a big ask. So I feel I wouldn't be shocked if a lot of the VR games we see as cool as they may be in VR have some possibility in you know non-vr i guess 2d screen space because at the end of the day you need to be making sure you're making games for that wider audience too i i I think you nailed it yeah that's i actually hadn't really considered that too much i just keep sort of in my brain uh thinking that psvr2 games will largely be psvr2 exclusive right i mean we saw stuff like uh batman vr there was a bunch of other games around the launch that were sort of uh, adjacent to that console or you know peripheral and made you want to buy it for that reason but i think when people think about psvr one of the most memorable experiences they have is resident evil 7 right and that's a game that was awesome on every console you know first person horror game revitalized the franchise in many ways and also if you played it in vr you know you gotta change the box of shorts like it's just one of those you know pants (laughs) poopers as they call it Back why we keep that, I'm sorry, I keep doing that. Don't put we on that, Brian. You've run it up. Both you guys times. keep talking about this. I don't know how to get you to stop. It's you keep talking about pooping the pants. I'm just really trying to calm everybody down. I don't think anybody should poop, poop the pants at all, <laughs> personally. Unless if you have to do it, you know, go, go for it. If that's your thing, no, no judgment. You know, Brian, a, a sometimes you just don't have time. Sometimes, sometimes you, you don't have time. time. You know, we're yeah. all busy, right? I will. I will say you're starting to get a little bit like you were after Lucy mispronounced Newark. So I just <laughs> if you need a minute. Just let us know. Um, this episode of Podcast Beyond is brought to you by NordVPN, a great way to protect yourself online while also improving your overall experience while enjoying cyberspace. Are you tired of streaming shows, movies, or sporting events being unavailable in your region due to draconian restrictions that are based on completely arbitrary geographical boundaries in physical meat space? Well, switch your virtual location to a place where that's no longer an issue. The same goes for shopping. You can get the best possible deal on subscriptions, flights, hotels, and other goods and services like that from websites that like to play favorites with certain territories and currencies. Meanwhile, encrypted traffic protects your data from hackers, viruses, malware, phishing sites, and other harmful hitchhikers of the information superhighway. Though really, it's more of an information autobahn because there is no speed limit with NordVPN. It is the fastest VPN in the world, so there won't be any buffering or lagging, and it'll stop your ISP from throttling your bandwidth. Isn't that nice? One NordVPN account can be used across six devices, which is great. My wife has been using our account to watch all sorts of awful British reality TV shows that aren't available here, like Argument Island or Half Naked Idiots Fall in Love, and everyone's favorite, The Worst People Just Got Married, Let's Hear Them Talk About It. 
Shows that are so bad, they're blocked in our part of the world for our own good, but luckily, NordVPN allows her to trick the internet into thinking she's in the UK so she and her awful friends can shriek and howl and cackle at the TV while I'm trying to relax. I've been using my VPN too. You know what I've been using it for? None of your business. Yep, that's right. And thanks to NordVPN, my data is safely encrypted, all bundled up in a weighted security blanket of incomprehensibly complex math problems, and nobody can tell what it's doing under there. Data, you do your thing. I'll leave you alone. One month of NordVPN coverage costs less than a cup of coffee. Coffee can't protect you from cyber criminals unless you throw it at them or pour it on their computers, and you'll probably get in trouble for doing that. So get NordVPN instead. To get the best possible discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. That link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that is nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. And now, back to the show. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. But Joseph, before we move off it, yeah, I'm just curious yes. about like your your hopes. I, from what you were saying, I assume you're a bit of a, a PSVR fan. I, I yeah. love so many of the the original games that were made for PSVR, Blood and Truth, Astrobot Rescue Mission. Um, the list can go on, but I, I am curious of like, you know, do you think they will try to focus mainly on PSVR exclusives or games that can kind of live in both worlds? I I think they're gonna try to focus on things that can live on both worlds because when they're when you're looking at what you know, if I'm PlayStation, I'm looking at what the competition's doing with their studios and consistently trying to churn out a massive game either every quarter or every other month. It's like, well, we we can't not do that as well. We have to ramp up and while at the same exact time support two of these pieces of hardware. So how do you do it? And I think, Ryan, I think you, you hit it out of the park. It's it is with those hybrid experiences. I though don't want to lose those special experiences with like a ghost giant where it is in vr and that's what makes it so special or even like a moss or even astrobot where yeah these games if played outside you know the vr headset they're a really good platformer but the things that make those games special is the vr element so that is the one concern that i do have with if this approach is really the one playstation is going for is what are the experiences that i can't get anywhere else because if i could get get you know whatever their experience on playstation 5 well then i don't really need the vr headset so what's that thing gonna push me to it so yeah no and you know what's interesting about that i think you make a really good point it's it's tough to tell when you play a game built for vr but you play it in non-vr mode just Mm -hmm. how great it will be in vr until you try it yourself and it's hard to get your hands on something like that you know nowadays especially uh it's I believe it was like one in 20 PS4 owners bought a PSVR. There was like 115 million total units sold on of 
PlayStation 4 total. Um, that's across, you know, a multiple SKUs. Uh, and then there was only like five, some six something million total sales of PSVR. And that's like, that's, that's a pretty low attach rate. But one of the things that they did note was that the people that did buy a PSVR bought a ton of software, which is, mm-hmm. you know, I think they can offset that. And so part of that is you get people in the door and they want to sp- start spending money on stuff. I know I did the same thing when I got an Oculus Quest. I was like, I went in the store, went on a shopping spree. You do that when you buy a new console, right? You just buy a bunch of launch games, a bunch of peripherals. You kind of go crazy. Like I remember when the N64 came out, I bought four controllers. You know how many launch games supported four <laughs> controllers on the N64? Zero. Yeah. <laughs> like I just, I was like, I'll get four colors and then I can play Mario 64 levels with the yellow one and then switch over to the green one. Um, there's no reason to do that, but people just kind of go into a, a buying frenzy early on, which is a, yeah. a, a smart thing to do to have all that stuff available. But I have the is, PlayStation yeah. 5 media remote. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have an Apple TV. There's no need. There's no need <laughs> for it. You just had to do it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I, mean, I, I, had, I had that pre-ordered, and then I, was, I stopped myself. I was like, what are you doing? I, watched, no, I was uh, like, let's double down. Yeah. <laughs> I watched Max's unboxing video. I was like, yeah, I've seen enough. I'm good. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those weird things. I mean, I I'm very curious how they end up uh, pricing it and sort of what their their rollout of stuff will be, because I think that'll make a huge difference because the the VR space is in such a different place than yeah, it was when PSVR right. came out, especially with the proliferation of Brian, as you were saying, Quest as a standalone thing, as wires free. And obviously they're saying like this will be kind of one wire situation, yeah. but it's going to be really interesting to see how they price point it. And I think also how future proof the technology is because as we've joked on the show the psvr is using controllers that are from three now like three generations ago so right. yeah it's uh, been a minute it'll it'll be very curious to see what they do with it but yeah once once we get a bigger sense of what psvr looks like we'll obviously be talking about it on the show and i'm glad these studios seem to be gearing up to support it in, in mm-hmm. some substantial way yeah um Moving on from there, though, did want to talk on uh, just another quick news topic. Uh, there was a brief, not a brief, I should say, uh, there was a pretty lengthy PlayStation blog post about how uh, Guerrilla Games is evolving Aloy for Horizon Forbidden West. Uh, that comes in, you know, a design area, a tech area, a gameplay sort of all across uh, the board. They talked about how they're adjusting things, but there were uh, a couple quotes from it that I just want to read that kind of sort of leaned into the idea of like okay this is a cross-generation game how much is it pushing things will the psvr players be left behind uh how will things look there so just a quickly quote from that blog post uh quote each generation of consoles brings extra power that lets us add even denser polygons to our character models so we can create finer details such as peach fuzz smooth contouring or finer texture excuse me details and accurate material expression uh, and not only do visual aspects benefit from the new PS5 hardware, we have also increased the number of skeletal joints to bring our deformations and facial expressions to a whole new level for more credible and immersive character performance. Uh, all in all, a dream come true for both players and developers. Uh, but the blog post went on to say, just because the team has been pushing the boundaries on the PS5 version doesn't mean that the PS4 version will be compromised. Uh, quote, we actually developed and tested game the game simultaneously on both PS4 and PS5, because it was very important to us as a studio to ensure PS4 players get an equally immersive experience. With our knowledge from Horizon Zero Dawn, we knew that we still had some unexplored resources that could push the realism and quality of our character assets forward. It's great to now be able to tap into that knowledge and experience for the sequel. Um, so to start off on, I, I guess, the first part of that, uh, Brian, I'm, I, I wanted to sort of, I, I guess, put this in context of like, 
for a long time leading up to the PS5, we we talked about and, and Tom Marks wrote, I think, a pretty great uh, op-ed about this last year of like, don't expect the biggest graphical leap with next gen immediately. Like, that's not what we're getting out of out of next gen. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's talking about things like this, like such small little things that you probably as a player don't always even notice or things you wouldn't know are in there, but things like skeletal joints uh, being added and things of that nature to allow them more flexibility in their animation and everything. It's a very small, minute detail, but I imagine it goes such a long way behind the scenes. Um, I'm curious what you think about like hearing about these things as like the big ways they're they're able to adjust games going forward. Yeah, I mean they're they're treading an interesting kind of thin line here because there's um, there's been a lot of debate from PlayStation fans about whether or not the, you know these studios should be supporting what is now you know seven eight eight nine-year-old hardware you know this, this is like the 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 ps4 is a is an archaic system that said uh no one played horizon and said god this game looks like crap like no one yeah. no one did that right like that's, that's one of the most beautiful games ever made the dlc is even prettier I, I i still think about like you know running around in the snow there and watching the sort of like the big clumps of snow sort of deform as i stepped like there's so much amazing stuff going on under the hood that said, I can't wait to play that game on PS5. I have no desire to play that game on PS4. Um, yeah. Hopefully more people can play it on PS5 by the time it comes out. So it's it's kind of difficult because they're they're telling everyone, you know, you have to buy, you know, this new system if you want to see the best it can do. But also, we're not forgetting about you in the past. It reminds me of a lot what uh, HBO Max is doing right now, weirdly mm-hmm. enough, where every one of their marketing campaigns is like, see it on the biggest screen possible. But also, please subscribe to HBO Max, where you can watch it on your phone. <laughs> like that's yeah. every commercial for Dune, Suicide Squad, every all the big sort of like a day and day home release and big theater things are like you got to see it in the IMAX. There's all these these things being like you know rent out your entire town and project it on the moon. And then at the bottom, they're like, please get HBO Max. Like so, they don't want to <laughs> leave their entire audience behind here on PS4. There's you know like we said before, 115 something million, even more than that. Uh, PS4 is out there in the wild. I imagine that number is going to go up even more around Black Fighter this year. Um, and so they don't want to leave that audience behind. Uh, you know, Santa Monica is doing the same th- thing with God of War. It's really tough to walk that balance of telling people you got to get this new system if you want to see the best that you can possibly see this game. But also, we didn't forget about you, you know, 100 something million plus uh, PS4 owners. And so I understand the the sort of disconnect and the debate here. Because a lot of PlayStation Five owners are ready to move on, and they just want they want they think that the the last gen is holding back the next gen, and yes. the developers have to constantly sort of reiterate that's not the case. And I don't know if if the audience will ever fully believe that, right? Because we don't really know everything happening under the hood here. I have no idea how they made anything we're looking at right now. <laughs> that is magic to me and sorcery. Wizards, it's yeah. wizards, yeah. Um, but that said, I'm I am glad that they are sort of doing this right now it it does again fly in the face of what sony said early on of we believe in generations but i'm hoping that the the bridge ends in 2022 i'm hoping that we yeah. get the we get the we get, we get ragnarok we get um you know the the next horizon game and then and then we can move on right and then we can kind of leave everything behind it sounds like spider-man and wolverine and those games I think they're going to leave the last generation behind. I think that they're going to go fully forward in the next gen only. And that's a, that's a good place to be. Eventually you have to kind of like 
pull the ripcord. Um, but that said, the system's still impossible to get right now. So I don't think it's the worst thing in the world that they're making these big games accessible to millions of people. Yeah, and uh, J- Joseph, I do want to throw to you. I think one thing, Brian, that you were you were just saying that was really interesting to me to think about when it comes to that cross generational thing is, and I'm not saying that like this is a definite, but when you think about these two games in particular, God of War and Horizon, Gorilla made Killzone Shadowfall for launch, and then Horizon in 2017 and its DLC, mm-hmm. and then was pretty quiet for the rest of the generation. God of War we got in 2018, and before that and after, Santa Monica was pretty quiet for that generation. We're getting both of these games at the very start of the PS5's life. And yes. if the PS5 has a life cycle that goes for as long or near as long as the PS4, chances are we're going to get at least probably one more game from these studios. Obviously, they're, they're studios that do not mind taking their time, and they absolutely should take their time when it means better health for their employees and them getting to create the vision they want to. But it gives us more potential, I think, than we had the last generation, which is also one of those reasons where people are like, Oh, but it's holding it back. It's like, but we're just at the start. Like, you, right. as you said, they're not going to ignore the hundred plus million people who could potentially buy this game for the 10 million who could. Um, and I, like, I mm. get that, but I do think there's so much more to look forward to. But, jo- but Joseph, I'm curious what you think of this sort yeah. of like generational bridging period that we're in. It's a weird one. And I think, yeah, Sony is going to constantly fight this battle because I think they opened their mouth way too early way too soon when it came to yeah we believe in generations and that is a fight that i think you're always going to kind of lose unfortunately until yeah you you draw that line of demarcation and say no more ps4 ps5 games at this date i do think spider-man is that um but yeah like even even with that said this game looks gorgeous. Aloy's model looks insane. Like you could zoom in and you can see the peach fuzz on her cheeks. Like it's it's insane the level of detail that they have on her character model alone. Mm-hmm. So for me, yeah, I'm gonna be honest and say right off the bat when I saw more PlayStation 4 and PS5, you know, cross games, I was disappointed because yeah, I Listen, I have no idea how and what it takes to develop a game. But when you tell me, you know, we believe in generations and then all of a sudden go, eh, actually, eh, yeah, I do get a little disheartened. But as I've seen throughout this past year, if anything, like, you know, a Miles Morales has shown is that no, like, even if this game is cross generational, it's still going to be a really impressive experience. So mm-hmm. for me, though, you know this is a ps4 ps5 game it doesn't bum me out one bit because even with these two versions being out there you see it every month uh, on any chart right miles morales is still on that number five list playstation 5s continue to sell out so it's not like you know we're there's, there's playstation 5s on the shelves we just started to get those in so it's it's nice to see that yeah people really just want that true next-gen experience and it seems like even with cross-generation uh games it's still being driven there so i like it yeah it's i i think you're totally right there and and both of you really sort of spoke to it it's a strange situation that they got themselves in i do not think it would be as such a sticking point if sony just hadn't said things so definitively to then put us in this murky situation we'd be in a very different like i think explanations would go a lot more uh with the audience like the audience would have uh kind of gelled with it a lot more had those things not been said originally 
Um, Absolutely. But yeah, the reality of the market and how much these games cost to produce is you're not going to leave the potential of 10 times the number of audience who could buy the game uh, just off the table. So I'm really still excited for both of those. Obviously, we'll be covering them a lot uh, in the month to come and especially when they come out next year. But uh, before we get there, uh, one last news story before we get into games we've been playing. I do just want to briefly touch on there was a uh, Last of Us Day celebration this past weekend, uh, Tilu Day, formerly uh, Outbreak Day, but, you know, sensibly they stopped calling it that uh, after the world went through its own pandemic, uh, which was probably for the best. Uh, so Tilu Day, uh, we got a little bit of a tease where PlayStation was essentially, hey, we're still working. Naughty Dog was like, hey, we're still working on our multiplayer project. It's still happening, so don't worry about it. We'll tell you more when we can say more. And the other big thing uh, that we saw was the first uh, image of the Last of Us TV show that's in production. Uh, We'll get to the Last of Us TV show in a second, but uh, Joseph, I do want to start with you because you did put in the run of show. Joe has a few things to say about the multiplayer project, so I do do want to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. um, First off, I love Factions. Um, It is... It's so good. It was so good. It was one of like the defining moments going into the PlayStation four for me, where for months on end, that's literally all I played. And when I talked to some of my Xbox friends about it, they're like, really, was it, was it really that big? And I'm like, no, it absolutely was. People loved their experience with it. And so going into factions too, um, the one thing I really want to stress here is this needs to be free for people that have bought the last of us, uh, part two. Um, I think more so this game needs to be on more than just PlayStation four and five. I really do feel like this thing needs to be out on PC as well. And that goes for any PlayStation multiplayer experience, because to me, as much as factions is amazing, you're going up against what is probably the most competitive area it's ever been. And that's the multiplayer arena. When you got the likes of, you know, your Fortnite, your apex legends and all that, this has some competition. Uh, in, a, in a in a in a you know mountain to climb. So to me, the best thing PlayStation could do is really put it as 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 on as many there's words uh, platforms as possible because I, I want that thing to grow. Do you think it should be free to play? If they could, yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's kind of where my brain's been going too. And I know that's like those are icky words, right? But um, that it's where like we were mentioning before about PSVR, right? And like how it's. The the market's in a very different situation right now. The multi, just like you just said, the multiplayer market's in a very different situation too. And I, I don't know that uh, like a multiplayer only spinoff to a uh, for me beloved but to many divisive um, sequel sure. uh, coming exclusively to a next gen console that uh, is still pretty hard to find, and I imagine still will be pretty hard to find by the time uh, this thing comes out. Um, knowing what we know about chip shortages and the rest of his crew. Uh, but <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of with you here. Um, I, I think that putting this on a bunch of different platforms and boosting that player base and getting a bunch of people in the door, that's how you, that's how you make a hit multiplayer game, right? Like yeah. all the games you mentioned before are successful because they're easy to jump into. They, uh, they are accessible on multiple platforms, um, sometimes even mobile. Not saying that that's what PlayStation should do here, but you know, getting getting this in more places, the better, right? Um, yeah. And then figuring out a way to sort of like really make this enticing. The thing that you mentioned, uh, you know, I, I think about Fortnite and, and Apex. Those are those are and and you know, 
Overwatch and even stuff like that. Like The Last of Us is pretty violent, brutal. Like I think that's where it can kind of set itself apart from some of the competition. Um, it's got it's it's built on some truly visceral, just <laughs> bloodthirsty kills and mm-hmm. neck snapping and you know bashing dudes in the heads with so like just very guttural, just cut people open, blood shooting everywhere. That's I think um, a, a gift and the curse, right? Because that sets it apart from a lot of your sort of like free to play multiplayer nonsense that's out there. Um, and and also you know maybe moves a lot of children out of the out of the scenario although they'll find a way to sneak in i always did when it came to watching <laughs> horror stuff or playing m-rated stuff when i wasn't allowed to uh I th- like i walked down a highway in new jersey to buy the original mortal Kombat and mortal Kombat 2 when it came out um after saving lunch money i was a child and you know someone sold it to me you gotta do what you gotta do <laughs> so people will get in no matter what but i think that that's a good way to separate itself is to sort of go here's this ultra violent multiplayer game it's different than your fortnites it's different than even your halos and stuff like that and so uh i i think that that's a smart move but yeah it's it's going to be tough for them to find an audience there uh if if they don't make it as as accessible as possible to as many people by putting it on multiple platforms by putting it in the hands of people uh maybe making it free for a little while or something like that so yeah it's it's an uphill battle and i think like um the the interesting thing about this story is it doesn't seem like we're going to be playing this game anytime soon like it seemed a lot further away than i thought it was i thought this was going to be something that was going to be around the launch of last of us 2 which is now you know a while ago and then got pushed um but no it doesn't sound like it's ready yet i i totally expected a like year one sort of ps5 surprise type of release where it was like hey we have one more thing for you as we're going into it you know maybe there will be sort of like an alpha or a beta or something in the next year or so but i I agree with you it does feel like it is further out than i would have thought because they probably could have teased an art asset or the name or something here and we didn't get anything to that nature and and maybe they're just trying to keep things really close and until they're ready to show it all some developers do to prefer to do that obviously but yeah, we're we're in a really weird space with it, and and Joseph, I totally think you're right. Like getting this to as many people as possible, as uh, across platforms or or whether it's free to play, like whatever they do, is the way to set it up for success at this point. I mean, Halo Infinite's multiplayer is going to be free to play. That is absolutely the the Xbox multiplayer to play. The reason they want you to probably get an Xbox Series X is free to play, and. and not that the last of us multiplayer will necessarily be the reason to get a ps5 for many people but it could potentially be such an awesome experience as you were saying joseph like factions was so good and to think mm-hmm. like just the additions of what the last of us part two mechanically did for stealth and ai and things of that nature like there's a lot of a lot of potential there and mm-hmm. so yeah. it would be a missed opportunity to not get into as many hands as possible to ensure its life because i think the the thing factions had against it was that it kind of was ignored because the last of us was so focused on the single player and its marketing and the, you know, in the celebration of it at year's end awards and things of that nature. Factions kind of unfortunately got forgotten despite how good it was uh, in the wider yeah. view. Certainly, mm-hmm. you know, people loved it, but. And if they, if there's a game to take notes off of, it is actually halo infinite and to see how they're rolling things out with that free to play structure and seeing how they also handle things like battle passes. If I am naughty dog and they're the economists that they hired, I am taking a sit back and I'm jotting down my notes and seeing what, what happens there because yeah, uh, mistakes are going to be made along the way and you kind of want to 
want to make sure you're going in at, with uh, the most paved road as possible right. when it comes to these multiplayer experiences. I also think um, the, one of the sort of connect the dots we haven't connected yet uh, right here is that the when the show launches, it's going to reach an audience that the game never reached, right? It's going to reach the, you know, not casuals, but it's going to reach people who watch prestige HBO television and they're going to get hooked on it. I think people burned out on The Walking Dead. And I think that uh, The Last of Us presents a world that's different there in terms of sort of zombie adjacent stuff. Um, and I think that it's going to be a hit show. And I think Naughty Dog will need something day and date to capture that excitement and fervor around the show and to have a video game that people can access, whether it's, you know, we, we read those rumors a couple of years ago or a couple of months ago, actually, about um, the sort of the Last of Us remakes. Mm -hmm. And Brian, uh, that was last know, week. It's been, you know, it's been a, it's been, it's been a long two years. Um, and I, I think it'd be very smart for them to have something present there. That's, that's how you sort of solve the problem of how do you get an audience to play this game? Halo, you know, I, I, they've dabbled in television experiments before, but this is, this is going to be a big HBO show. And so yeah. that, I think that's a really cool thing to, to go. People watch the show, they go, oh, it's based on a video game. Oh, there's a video game right here I can play. Oh, it's free to play. Great, I'm in, and they try it. Um, yeah. I think that that's a huge sort of way to bridge the gap there, uh, and a, and boosted the numbers on on your multiplayer game. That frankly, your average multiplayer experience doesn't have a big prestige HBO show to back it up. So, I think there's there's there could be something really cool there if they if they can align the planets and the game is ready for when the show's ready. I know that's not how game development works, but <laughs> um, shows don't notoriously get delayed for the same reasons games do. You know, like Pedro Pascal is not going to get stuck in the geometry for a couple of episodes and they'll have to delay the show for a year. He might. Uh, I'd watch yeah. that. But They actually do need to do a patch update to Pedro's firmware, but uh, that <laughs> should delay the show for a few weeks. And right? actually, they did have to del delay it a week because he was stuck in craft services. Yeah, his like in the table. Yeah, his jacket textures did not pop in in time for the finale. Too long. Yeah. Those uh, those IMAX cameras that you have to record with now, it's crazy. Um, and just to briefly touch on that, of course, there was red. I don't know if you have the image, but there was that first uh, image of The Last of Us show, which uh, I, I more than seeing the image itself, I enjoyed the uh, rumor mongering about it that came out after. I don't know if either of you caught this, but essentially people were like, hey, The Last of Us Day happened and there wasn't really any big news in the morning. It was kind of just like, here's some of the merch that we're doing here's and, and it's cool stuff. I think it's a bit much to expect like brand new announcements every year from a single yeah. franchise, but people seem to want to know a little bit about what the future of the last of us was. And so like hours later, randomly in the middle of the night on Sunday, they were like, here's the first look at the last of us. <laughs> uh, and it was this behind the back image of uh, Ellie and Joel uh, looking out at sort of an abandoned or not abandoned, a, a sort of barren hill. Uh, there was a sort of crashed uh, airplane believe it's an airplane uh crashed airplane there it is uh for those watching the video version off in the distance and and that's pretty much it uh i i don't think we need to linger like too long on this but brian just quick thoughts for me sure does look like the last of us it does um i can't remember the last time i saw like an image for a movie or a tv show that made me want to push up on the joystick and just walk into it like <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. there's something very special about that and again this is you know um this is territory that we all know well but the showrunners and writers have said that they're going to deviate from the source material a bit here. And so I think that's really cool. Like at the very least, this is an awesome way to introduce an entire new audience to, to a story that's, that's really great. 
Um, maybe you don't like The Last of Us 2. That's on you, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the, if not, then for people like us who, who have played those games, think of this as sort of like an alternate retelling or DLC or something like that. Like this is supplemental content for something that we love. And for other people, it's an introduction into this world that I think we can all agree whether or not you like where all the stories go. I do. Um, this is, this is, this is a great place. Like this is not a great place. It's a terrible place, <laughs> but this is, this is an awesome place for a story. Uh, and there's really, really cool stuff happening in this world. And I'm excited for it. This is, this is spot on. This looks, yeah. this looks like I want the show to look. So I'm in. Yeah. And Brian, don't apologize for liking the last of us part. Two oh, I won't, I won't. I won't. Yeah. Okay. You know, no I matter just, how those 12 people on Twitter say, I ha I feel like I have to like every opinion has to be surrounded by this impenetrable circle of yeah. uh making like a force field so i can <laughs> say to myself like i like this it's okay if you don't like it the thing is with that with some not to get into this again here we go real quick <laughs> okay. um, real quick the, the thing about the last of us 2 is that there are people who have legitimate uh qualms gripes. with the yeah. gripes with the story and they unfortunately get lumped in with like you know garbage people too and that sucks because I think The Last Jedi is the same situation. I printed that one in there, too. <laughs> sure, Perfect, just, Brian. Perfect. Run around hey. the minefield. Hey, um, Brian. Yep. I, I'm here to tell you, I don't like The uh, Last Jedi, and I, I'm perfectly fine with you liking it. That's okay. That's okay. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think with, with all of those things, there are reasons to like it. There are reasons to not like it. And there are mm -hmm. people who are just, like, mad at it for, like, very stupid reasons. And all of that gets lumped in together, and I think that's unfortunate. But I think the show... Is going to do interesting things. I think the show is also going to divide people who like both games because it's yep, going to yep. do new new things there too, and that's okay as well. I don't want a one on one retelling of something I've already played, yeah. so bring it on. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, for no, oh, you go, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, for me, I, I just thought for the casting, it was just this is this is a joke I stole from Twitter, by the way. It was just a very brave choice to ca cast Chris Pratt as Ellie. I just thought it was very brave of him. <laughs> um, but it's really interesting, honestly, uh, to take a look how, like, for the most part, people are really pumped to see Pedro as Joel. And as a Hispanic, I'm very excited to see a Hispanic play one of my favorite characters in a video game. Mm -hmm. um, but it's awesome to see, like, people, for the most part, can you get some toxic people in there? Go, oh, my God, Pedro is in here, the Mandalorian himself. He loves fetch quests. Let's go. Let's do this. And you get the opposite response when you get the announcement of like Chris Pratt being Mario, because when it comes to Pedro and when it comes to this, the cast that they've got for the last of us, they have such range to them that like Pedro can be the action star, but you've also seen him in serious roles as well. And so when you take a look at uh, Bella Ramsey as well, like she performed so well on game of Thrones, they kept giving her scenes cause she just kept eating them mm -hmm. up. So for me, this screenshot gave me exactly what I needed to see, which is The Last of Us World, what I would think it would be in a TV production right in front of me. And I'm all in, man. I'm yeah. very excited. Totally. Brian, to, to your point earlier of like wanting to press up, press up on the control stick. When I saw the back of Pedro in that shot, I was like, oh, my God, I have seen the back of Joel's head and torso so much in my life. And man, they really <laughs> captured that. Uh, which was like such a weird specific thing. And obviously when people watch, that's not going to be the important part, but man, they really did get that good. And so I appreciate mm -hmm. that the, the first look was a video game esque screenshot. Yeah. Uh, I think to help kind of bridge the gap for people, but yeah, really, 
excited to see that. I guess we'll be starting to cover more movies and TV on this podcast because we've got more PlayStation TV shows and movies on the way. Uh, but There's a twisted metal show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With um, Anthony Mackie, no Anthony less. Mackie, that, yeah. yeah. Surprising. Uh, We've got that. We've got Ghost of Tsushima movie, Last of Us. Uh, I can't wait for the Ape Ape Escape reality show uh, Mm -hmm. and many more to come. (laughs) But uh, until we get to covering all those, let's talk a little bit uh, about the games we've been playing before we run out of time. And Joseph, I do want to start with you. I I know we had talked a bit before the show. Uh, You've jumped back into Death Stranding Director's Cut, correct? I have. Yes, which uh, came out last Friday, I think it was. Um, Mm -hmm. I forget how dates work. Uh, So this is, of course, the director's cut version that kojima wishes wasn't called the director's cut version but is the director's cut version uh adds in quality of life updates some new items uh some new uh missions in there a racing uh mini game sort of uh, of sorts in there uh joseph how did you approach jumping into the director's cut? oh man so for those of you who don't know uh death stranding is my first kojima game i ever jumped into oh wow like I dove in because for me, I was, you know, a wee little top in the 90s. So I never got into Metal Gear. It just never caught me at the right time. And by the time like four or five came out, I'm like, it's four or five games deep. This is a lot. I'm I'm intimidated. So Death Stranding was like, perfect. I get to see how weird Kojima is. I get to, you know, go into this universe completely fresh and I get it. Kojima is a weird man, but I appreciate all the weirdness that he throws. And for me, as someone who's enjoyed the game more for its actual gameplay than the story itself, this director's cut actually didn't kind of entice me too much because I actually like in Death Stranding that I'm not, it's not always shooty, shooty, bang, bang. I'm, you know, causing all types of explosions. It is just more of a tranquil experience of plotting out your, your map going from point A to point B to point Z and even on PlayStation 4 Pro, where it was beautiful, here on PlayStation 5, it's absolutely gorgeous. Like the draw distance and the details in the draw distance. It's one of those things that I love in video games where devs do something and it breaks my brain. It's like, how did you do that? That's wizardry again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this game looks drop dead gorgeous and i think for me when i was jumping into this game there is one part i needed to see for myself which is chapter six through chapter eight where you're in this tundra and it it blew my mind on playstation 4 where it's just like it really felt like i was in this blizzard (laughs) like i was getting chills and so jumping into it on the playstation 5 with the tempest sound and the 3d audio and all that um it just it just sounded incredible. And with the haptic features, it also feels pretty darn good. Though I do have some gripes with the dual sense support, like Kojima, you're a weird dude, get weird with the dual sense. And I feel like <laughs> a lot of the times he, he played it safe there. But for me, I didn't get to dive into a lot of the um, extra stuff because the shooting, again, doesn't really impress me much, but I wasn't able to because man, the way you you cross gen save in this PS4 and PS5 version of the game is um, it's interesting to say it's a lot. Yeah, you uh, Brian for uh, and for those who don't know, you essentially have to go in game and deliver your save to yourself. Yes. Um, so uh, you have to make sure you don't have other deliveries going on. You have to like kind of 
situate yourself specifically in the game uh, to get things where it needs to be in order to upload that save. Yeah. You know um, what? As as an outsider who won't play this, uh, I appreciate that level of frustration. I feel like that's <laughs> very, that's very on brand for a Kojima and b this yeah. game. So. Yeah. But I also understand why that would be a pain in the ass. It, it's yeah. certainly not out of step, but step. But Joseph, I, I'm totally there with you. I jump back into my like end game save uh, at, at sort of the final chapter just to I didn't I, like I loved building roads in that game and genuinely really, yeah. really enjoyed that section of the game. But I didn't really want to just rebuild all my roads all of a sudden. Uh, so I wanted to be able to jump into the, the, the little bells and whistles that were added. But I'm I'm totally with you, I think. The shooting is the thing that I least like the combat is the thing I cared least about while playing Death Stranding. Mm -hmm. And it was the exploration and the the building of structures and the giving likes to people so that our structures were mutually benefiting each other and things of that nature. And I like if you didn't enjoy that experience in in the base game, I don't really think the director's cut will demonstrably change all of that. Again, I didn't start over from the beginning, but um, I I like those additions. I do think there there are some cool things we're seeing. I like the game. catapult. The catapult is really cool and and some catapult's of the, real silly and I I love it. Yeah, some better support skeletons, some ways to bring uh you know more stuff with you. The jump ramp too, which I kind of had to really get the hang of how it properly jumps you. Uh, th there are some additions that definitely help that uh oddly soothing grind of delivering packages that I enjoy. But I think like if that was something you didn't connect with, I don't think these things will make it more fun for you necessarily um, yeah but absolutely. i do i do think it it makes it a little bit easier for some people who who maybe had some some difficulties with uh the delivering capabilities or some of the limitations there and like you said i think i think for what it is as a game that was essentially a, a remaster to the ps5 and not a game built with the dual sense in mind i think you know the feeling of the the rushing river as it goes by you feels pretty great it's directional and and things both in the sound and the dual sense but you're right it immediately made me think of like oh i can't i hope kojima makes another playstation game i know there are talks about him partnering with xbox but like yeah. i hope he makes another playstation game because i want to see him get real weird with the dual sense like he seems just so perfect yeah and i do want to just say shout out to that game that has predicted what we're going through in this global condition that we find ourselves in because at times i'm playing this i'm like this is hitting close to home mm -hmm. it's like this is really like doordash in a post-apocalyptic situation <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i mean amazon it, just delivered my 2019 save file today so <laughs> i have to install that i um, there were those images of, <laughs> yeah. of new york city getting hit by the hurricane and, and seeing like a door there was a, a viral twitter video where like a doordash driver was going through the it just entire storm it's like oh yeah that's kind of what you do as norman reedus in this game i guess it's not yeah. that far off um so it is it is scary impression in that way and it is interesting to revisit that world and yeah i don't know if i'm gonna spend i spent quite a lot of time with that game i think i spent close to like 60 hours I don't Same. know if I'm going to spend another 60 with it, but mm -hmm. I'm enjoying dipping back into it for, for a little bit, for sure. Yeah. Um, moving so, on from there, Joseph, anything else that you've been playing that you, uh, you've been enjoying in particular you want to shout out? Shout out to Kina. Man, this game just punches above its weight constantly uh, through its visuals. How, how you could see they love the themes and the tone from Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. And, you know, I was listening to last week's episode when y'all talked about their their short film that they did with Majora's Mask and how it plays with that tone. I actually think of uh, of of what 
I, without going to spoilers, the tones of Majora's Mask in this game and how they handled it just even better. I really love the little story that they're telling here and just the musical score as well is so Legend of Zelda to me that I was just like, and I'm home. This, mm-hmm. this, I'm reminded, like I'm transported back to when I was nine years old in the dang water temple. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's, it, it is just such a great experience. So if you are a PlayStation 5 user, um, this is definitely like a must get, must buy just for the haptics alone as well for a little indie game, which I feel like indies have not used that haptic or, or the adaptive triggers all too well. Hearing the little creak of the bow. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah, oh, okay. the, the bow, bow and arrow is definitely going to be, I think, a common way we see the triggers used, but this probably is my favorite so far of mm-hmm. a like a, a trigger pull in that way. It does really, the tension of it, it works yeah. really well. The reverberation of it is is, is very well uh, communicated through the triggers. It's really impressive. Um, Brian, have you gotten a chance to play a bit more? Uh, uh, a little bit this? more. I So I screwed up and I uh, decided to like, show this game to my toddler and she's obsessed with it but i also like don't play it unless she's there now so i've i've kind of handcuffed myself to her schedule well, not like she has a schedule <laughs> she's tiny but um i i try to make it like an experience we share together so even though it does get a little dark and scary at times but yeah i'm i'm, I'm still chipping away at it i got sidetracked by uh some of the games that we'll talk about in a second but um because man it's been another giant week for video games i don't know when people are supposed to play everything it's just yep. not feasible yeah and uh, it's our our jobs too and i am struggling to find all the time mm-hmm. um i do yeah i can't recommend enough that people have you beaten uh kana joseph or are you still oh i've platinumed it okay nice um and i for the for the devs out there i platinumed it completely non-cheese completely legitimate oh wink there we go. There's that. Link. I was I was waiting because uh, no, I totally use the exploit. Some people yeah. were tweeting at me like, "Hey, I hate difficulty trophies. I just don't think yes. it's." I I actually really like master difficulty. I was playing. I played about halfway through, and I think the challenge of it is really fun. But for a like yeah. a digital fake reward that kind of means nothing to ask. The oh, it means completely. Something. It, means something. it means something. But you know what? I like. I'm not. I'm not gaining an award for it. But PlayStation, if you want to give us awards again for it, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Um, I. It just doesn't add to the experience. It makes that playthrough feel like a chore rather than yeah. uh, an opportunity to engage with the game on a deeper level. Like the absolutely. Is if I have this podium for just a second to any totally developer different. listening, yeah. please don't lock your trophies behind difficulty settings. Totally. It's just inconvenient for me. I got so much time in a day. And for me, platinum trophies means I loved my experience so much. This is like a a token of my love. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I love uh, Bloodborne. And by the way, it's been 2,381 days since the launch of Bloodborne. I platinum <laughs> that game. I love it so much. Same here. Have, same here. Yeah. So it's just like a token of my gratitude. And also we have 114 days since uh, or till Elden Ring. So. Oh, let everybody know that's a that's a much more exciting number than the, than the other one which I just, <laughs> just made me sad um, i know right it's like when are we gonna get that ps5 update please joseph yeah. i will say an amendment yes. to your difficulty uh thing is that i think that if new game plus is implemented i think that like sort of eases eases it a little bit right like if if For you can sure. finish kena and then all of your stuff carries over jump over to the higher difficulty and like that's that was that was my thing with resident Evil 4 you know i, I that's why I, I one of the reasons i play that game all the time 
is like you'll beat the game and then you can move on to like a sort of new game plus situation with a higher difficulty save um that i love i think that's that's a great sort of make good to get people to repeat playthrough but if it's just playing the entire game again from scratch on a slightly harder difficulty i don't i don't think that's the most creative use of a platinum trophy Totally. Yeah. yeah. And and there is no new game plus in Kano, which makes it all right. the more frustrating. And I think if there were and it was like, hey, there's one more ability to un- unlock it in Master or there's you have all your stuff from the beginning. So you're, you're getting the hang of things mm-hmm. more as you go throughout the story. Mm-hmm. It, it wouldn't feel as, as tough. But I agree with you, Joseph. I think like locking a platinum behind that when I, I feel the exact same way. A platinum trophy to me is like I loved this game so much that I strove for this because I want to see every aspect of the game. Not that I beat my head against the wall in order to get this thing every time um and yeah. so yeah there's there's a balance to it but uh other than that we're huge fans of Kana here so uh absolutely great to see it's him. one of my game of the year and it, yeah. this year is tough it's mm-hmm. it's a great year yeah um i do want to get into a couple other games and one that brian you had put down and that i have played as well is hot wheels unleashed and uh before we get into that game i do want to briefly throw to actually spoke to the executive producer of Hot Wheels Unleashed to talk a little bit more about the game. Uh, for those who don't know, Milestone, the developers, has a long lineage in racing games, so we spoke a little bit about that, uh, a little bit about uh, their plans for post-launch support, and kind of just how they're huge Hot Wheels nerds and wanted to make a really great Hot Wheels game. And uh, let's throw to that interview now. Hello, everyone. I am very excited to be talking about Hot Wheels Unleashed, which comes out this week, September 30th. Uh, I've been playing it a bunch and absolutely loving it. And I'm very excited because we have an executive producer of the game, Mikel Coletti. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about Hot Wheels Unleashed. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. I've, I've been having a blast and I'm excited to jump in about it. Hello, thank you for inviting me and I'm eager to talk about the game. Uh, so I wanted to start off with uh, a, a little bit of a, a, a wider picture, big picture question, because um, obviously Milestone, the development team, has such a history with um, you know really authentic racing experiences, whether it's MotoGP, Rider, or, or various other games. Uh, obviously, Hot Wheels Unleashed, I would say it's very authentic to the toys, but you you have a very stylish sort of hyper-realistic racing series here, maybe in comparison. How wh- Was there any major difference for the team, I suppose, in tackling Hot Wheels Unleashed compared to, you know, past series that the, the team has uh, been so great at developing? Well, yes, there has been some huge differences because uh, when you move from a game like, I don't know, MotoGP or Supercross to Hot Wheels, you have to reset everything. And... We start from from the idea that uh, we wanted to make a game that didn't feel like the usual card game you're used to. So uh, very script-based with uh, very light physics. We wanted to have a different approach, and I think it shows a lot in, when you pick up the game. So we had to reset to decide what were the ingredients, the basic ingredients of the game. So uh, we had something to do from the very blank page and we started to experiment. So our, our, our pedigree, our, our tradition of using physics and taking a realistic look to, to the sports and to the racing game genre, uh, it shows because we wanted to recreate something that felt substantial. It didn't have to feel too light, too too easy, too simplistic. So uh, overall, the game feels like that. Uh, 
cars have a weight. Uh, everything is not so easy. It's not so super simplified uh, while being still doable, while being still fun all the time. So we had to change our perspective. While I think some of our DNA shows through the lines and you can read through and see our heritage in even in the Hot Wheels Unleashed. So it's, it's something that we had a long time to prepare. It, it was not something done overnight. But uh, the more we were experimenting, the more we understood that the way was paying off. So the result is now in your hands. And it's an absolute blast to play. I've, I've been having a lot of fun uh, testing my skills and definitely getting beat here and there uh, by the AI. But it's, uh, as you said, there's a, it, it feels like it may be simplistic at the start because you're playing a Hot Wheels game and, and you, you may think, oh, it might be specifically targeted to kids but that doesn't feel like the case at all the second you start playing there's uh, it's easy to pick up and play but there's a lot of complexity to it as well um and one of the the things that you mentioned was sort of the the physics focus and i did want to talk about that the the really interesting ability in particular to sort of uh orient your car while in the air you know while going over a jump you have a lot of control over sort of the the direction that your car is going to land um, was that something that was there very early in the, the creation of this game? And, and how did that affect development of, you know, the tracks that you're on and, and the level layout? Well, starting from scratch, we, we started with the idea that the game didn't need to be uh, too simple, but uh, shifting the focus towards uh, the basic driving skills meant that uh, to avoid to overload the, the player with things to do and to keep in mind and to care about. Uh, for example, the, the first result and the prime result is the um, absence of weapons, not only because of the license, not, not, not only because we want them to differentiate uh, from other games, but also because imagine Hot Wheels with the complexity uh, in, in the driving that is slightly higher than in other arcade games, adding weapons it would be simply too much too frantic too 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 much to dominate so when we were starting to experiment with the physics and with the basic driving we understood that uh, at the same time we needed to have some in-air control that goes away from the actual uh, physics from the book but it was needed to land correctly it was needed to uh, do some jumps and that unleashed, and sorry for the, for the joke, but unleashed <laughs> some other possibilities. Like there are some tracks where midair, you have to flip the car uh, completely to land because you are attached to a magnet. And then, so when gravity kicks in, you, you land on another part of the track where you need to flip over. So the more we add some tools to experiment, the more our uh, imagination and creativity was was enabled to 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 bloom into the truck design into the environments so it, it was something like you start with some idea you take some consequences you evolve from that and you think what can i do with these possibilities with these tools and this not only related to the physics but also to the graphics because you know it's the first possibly hot wheels game with a realistic visual approach and, and this was a consequence because it's, it's based in our DNA to pull out some realistic physics and graphics. So it, it was obvious for us to do such a thing. 
And and that leads me uh, amazingly to the next thing that I want to talk about. And by the way, this is a show filled with uh, wonderful puns and, and jokes. So that fit right in uh, with our usual shtick. But um, I, I did want to talk about this game is beautiful. I, I think that wasn't necessarily a thing I was thinking before I decided to play a Hot Wheels game, but it is absolutely gorgeous. And the both the level detail around you in the world, as well as just with the cars uh, and all the different uh, types of materials that they're made out of and sort of the, the dedication to making those really come through uh, is it's so impressive to see in motion. And I was wondering um, both perhaps, obviously this is cross-gen and, and available on multiple platforms, but uh, did having access to, you know, the next-gen consoles, the now current-gen consoles, uh, allow the team to to amp up that uh, dedication to those very realistic, very beautiful physics, or excuse me, graphics? Um. Well, it, it's been one of the biggest challenges of the game because when you come out with uh, Nintendo Switch through the past generation, through the, the, the next, so current generation, or PC, you have to care about lots of things to sustain performances, visuals, and quality. But at the very uh, basic choice was to have a realistic look. So um, we, we obviously studied um, many or all the Hot Wheels games in the past. And you know, there has been something from PlayStation 1 times uh, until uh, very, very recently. And uh, in, in history, um, Hot Wheels games treat visuals in a um, uh, simplified way. Sometimes because of the performances of the hardware, because our older games or mobile games, sometimes as, as a choice, like it's not the toy. It's, it's an ideal version of the toy inside the game. Or sometimes it's a, a real sized car like in Forza. Um, so it was basically the most obvious choice to do and the only one that was not being taken to represent the cars as they are. And to, to us, the moment we tried it, uh, laser scanning some, some, some cars and putting them in, into, the, into the engine, it just sounded and felt super good because these are the cars we love, not another version, not a stylish version, not a, a real life version necessarily. These were the cars we loved. And so um, putting this style uh, in, into the environments and, and in, into the trucks, was something like, again, uh, a consequence of some choices you make. And uh, again, the, the environments needed a lot of reworking. We had to work in a way that we never did before, because usually we, we copy real tracks. So it's not something that we are used to. So we, we drafted some uh, white boxes, so uh, some very draft with only shapes of the environments, just to understand if the, uh, the size, uh, division of environments, uh, the shape of the, the objects we were putting in were too many, too few, very friendly to creating the tracks. So we iterated a lot uh, with just only some uh, high level ideas, like we want to make an abandoned garage, okay? But what should we put into this garage? And uh, so sometimes there were, there were too few elements, sometimes there were too many. So it looked like good, but we, we were never able to create tracks in a breeze inside that environment. And then we settled to some compromise to uh, achieve the best effect in terms of visuals, gameplay, 
being able to uh, provide something friendly for the creators of, of the tracks that use the, the editor. So it was something like we were learning along the way to do something we had never done, but we were with some very clear ideas and we moved step from step with, with these ideas in mind in trying to reach the, the ultimate goal. So it was something that looking back, it was uh, quite of a journey, but I think that we've stick to our vision. I, at least for me personally, it uh, absolutely paid off as a kid who had uh, more Hot Wheels than I could count uh, and, and would prefer to admit. Uh, it's, it's really impressive to see them come to life in this way. As you said, it is a... Uh, you're taking what they actually are in real life and, and putting it into the game rather than making this, as you said, sort of idealized version of what that car might look yeah. like as a real size car. Um, and it's it's a joy to both race with those because of that nostalgia, but also because it's just a really beautiful, fun racing game that you, that you all have created. But you you did touch on something I wanted to mention, which was the the creation suite available here. Uh, there's a really in-depth level editor and car customization uh, abilities in here uh, with the liveries and everything for your car that you're able to create. Uh, and I've, I've had a joy. I've, I've already lost several hours uh, trying to perfect looks for my cars. And I, I was curious about uh, why for the team that was such an important part of, of including in the game or, or um, you know, deciding on how expansive to make those elements. Because for me, at least, they feel uh, quite expansive, but uh, like really easy to get into and, and a joy to kind of build well, the, the truck editor was the most complicated and uh, technically challenging to implement uh, because it's the very same tool that our uh, designers use to create the trucks you can find into the game. So this was the very, very same tool that we are offering to, to the players. So we can expect to have some designs uh, up to the level of what we have done or possibly even crazier because we had somehow to tame our attitude to do super crazy tracks because uh, it could be something like of a puzzle race, but we don't want to have uh, in-game tracks built in uh, to be uh, that, sh that, that much pushed towards uh, being uh, a challenge. They had to be enjoyable. But th this, this editor allows to create parts, add special parts, uh, create turns, twist, bend the pieces. So it's quite of a techn technological challenge because uh, it's all modular. It all works from Nintendo Switch up to PC. So it's been uh, quite of a ride to, to, to create it. And it was interleaving with uh, the creation of the tracks of the game. So it, it was very, very complicated to, to, to work on. Uh, but at the same time, this was a um, very, very uh, basic need of the game because it's the very spirit of Hot Wheels, the orange truck. So where else should they run? Uh, we used also part of the environments. Uh, we expect players to use the environment as part of the setting, but uh, it would not be a Hot Wheels game without the iconic orange truck. So it had to be this way. Uh, again, it's something that it's not quite usual because it's such a powerful editor. I think it's the first time you can see it, but it had to be this way. It was one of the pillars of the game. Delivery editor, it's not something uh, that you immediately connect to the Hot Wheels franchise, 
because you know Hot Wheels cars they come in multiple uh, liveries uh, over the years. The same cast uh, will be uh, reissued in different liveries. So it's one of the part of the joys to collect all the different liveries that will come out through the years. Uh, but uh, again, being a game, we wanted to have something for the players to, to play with, to create, to be creative, to personalize themselves when, when they go online, for example. So uh, again, from our other games, it's pretty natural to introduce the uh, livery editor. And uh, when you put your hands on a Hot Wheels car with a livery editor, you understand the full potential because it's something very, very uh, natural to do it. You apply some uh, sparkly paint, you start attaching stickers, and it, it's super nice in this way. So even if it's uh, not immediately coming from the Hot Wheels franchise, it suits perfectly for the game. Again, it's quite a big challenge because these models are pretty complicated to, to be able to be painted on. But again, we, we're already seeing some crazy liveries popping out. So uh, that's the sign that mission is accomplished. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't wait to see once the wider public is really in there en masse of just how, how many amazing, uh, you know, concepts and, and car designs people are able to come up with. Uh, seeing a few already it, it's been really exciting uh to jump into that i i was curious though of course because it, as you said um you know hot wheels you, you may see them re-released over time in, in different uh forms and whatnot but obviously there's a sort of core selection of i believe over 60 cars in the game at launch um what was sort of the the car selection process for the team because obviously there are for those who may not have jumped in yet there there are stats uh to each of the cars that you're able to upgrade and whatnot so so how did the team decide on what cars to include and, and sort of the suite to go with it. Well, it was something like um, the mix of um, a brawl and uh, uh, um, very scientific approach. So, <laughs> and everything in between, because when you, uh, well, I'm, I'm a Hot Wheels collector. Several other people of the teams are Hot Wheels collectors or uh, former players some, some decades ago. And uh, when you uh, understand the Hot Wheels uh, world, you understand that there are the uh, real world cars, there are the original Hot Wheels models, there are people that like one, the other, both of them. People focused on uh, single categories like muscle cars. Uh, there are some people incredibly crazy about a single model. So we had to find a way to please somehow all these possible audiences. And in this way, we had to, to find a good balance between super famous models, uh, something that would, it was impossible to miss. Uh, there were Acceleracers fans. There were fans like me of real world cars. So uh, we had to, to try to, to move from 300 cars selection for day one, then 150, then to a reasonable number in order to find a good balance. And keep in mind that all the cars into the game cannot only be uh, visually customized, also upgraded in terms of gameplay. So if you find something like of a common car and you like it to be brought on to the higher levels, you can um, empower it 
uh, using the, the, the corkscrews and to, to, to empower the car so you can uh, make it faster and move it on to the other categories. So we, we tried to give something that would please possibly all the Hot Wheels fun. It, it's, it's possible, completely no, but we put all the possible efforts to capture uh, all the Hot Wheels uh, lover categories in, into the game. And I think that the response so far is good. It, it definitely, I'm, I'm sure it is no easy task, as you, as you were saying, but it feels like the, the suite of available cars here is, is a really good sort of uh, cross-section of all the, the various types of Hot Wheels fans, as you were mentioning, to make sure that there's something here, I think, for everyone. And, and as you said, if you, you find a common car, there's certainly a few that I've, I've collected in the game, but I, I really want to stick with them. I've been upgrading them and, and, and boosting them up where I can, uh, and that's been a joy to keep them with me as I progress. Um, I did, of course, want to ask as well, there, there are plans, though, for those who may want even to see even more cars. There, there are post-launch plans for the game as well, correct? Yes, there are. Uh, In-game, there are some uh, loot boxes that are uh, not actually loot boxes because you don't have to pay for them. So the overall unlocking system uh, works uh, in this way with, without the use of real money. While in the future, in, in the near future and for a long time, there's going to be a number of uh, paid uh, additions to the game. From, uh, but, but even also some of them will be free. So there's going to be some uh, vehicles. There are going so uh, single vehicles uh, to be added uh, to the game. There's going to be some um, season passes. But there's going to be also some other contents uh, with some more full-fledged expansions, introducing possibly new themes uh, and new things. So it's going to be revealed in detail along the way. There's going to be race season. So like many other games are using seasons to unlock something that is free and then something else that is uh, paid with the, some uh, more content to be unlocked. So uh, the, the, the basic game is very, very uh, full-fledged and nice. There's going to be something coming on for many, many months, free and paid. So there, there are options to uh, enjoy Hot Wheels uh, now and in the future. And also players will be producing content on their own. So there's going to be a, a ton of content to be enjoyed from, from, the, from the fan base. So I think it's going to be quite lively for a very, very long time. I, I hope it will as well, because I've, I've been having a blast these last few days with it. And, and as you said, I, I appreciate the, the approach the team has taken. Uh, everything in the base game you're unlocking, as you mentioned, the the quote unquote loot boxes are not paid for. It's just with the in-game currency that you're collecting. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's really great to just keep encouraging me to go back to the races to, oh, I missed that time trial. Let me go try that one just so I can get a few more coins uh, to be able to get another car to. It's, it's been a really great uh, joy to experience all of that and to see what other players are creating. And I can't wait to see what's what's ahead from the team. Uh, we're we're just about out of time, so I did want to ask, since you were mentioning sort of the uh, the decision-making process of it all, was there any particular car or model uh, that you really wanted to make sure it was in the game that got in there at launch? Well, now that you talk about it, let me say that my possibly favorite car in the game could be the Audi Quattro. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. There are many others I... that I like that possibly will be in the future in the game that 
maybe didn't find some spot into the game, but uh, when I see this one, I, I really love it. There, there are other cars that uh, are, have been actually scanned by, by, by my own cars. So uh, it's very nice to know that your car is actually physically somehow into the game. That's amazing. I, I love that so much. Uh, the the team, uh, obviously, they're, they're huge Hot Wheels fans on staff, but uh, as a fellow Hot Wheels fan, I uh, just wanted to say it's, it's been incredible to to play and see the attention to detail and, and care that went into this game. Uh, so, Mikhail, thank you so much for joining me uh, to talk about the game a little bit. I've been having a blast and, and definitely recommend everyone out there, uh, go check out Hot Wheels Unleashed. If you need even more convincing, our review is up on IGN. We gave it a nine. It's amazing. Uh, totally stand by that. It, it's a blast. And Mikhail, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks, Jonathan, as always, for that amazing interview. Uh, Brian, I do want to hear your thoughts on Hot Wheels since I spoke a little bit about it in the interview, but how are you feeling about it? Um, I think it's fun as hell. It's uh, it's incredibly toyetic, which is a word I think it's thrown out around a lot, but in this scenario, it totally works. Um, when you get cars and you kind of pick them up and spin them around, on next gen, the, it's, it's pretty tough to get those textures down of something that's like, you know, uh, metallic or plastic or something like that that looks like a hot wheels toy you had as a kid and they nailed it here um i really also like the the track design in the way that it feels like something that you could conceivably lay out in your house if you were extraordinarily rich as a kid and, you lived, <laughs> and your parents just left and were never coming back but they left like a million different ramps around the home to get a piece together um Building your own tracks is super fun too. Uh, my gripe with this game is the economy and the way unlockables roll out or lack thereof really. Um, it's kind of a grind to unlock cars in this game. You do so by be basically getting loot boxes uh, that you can purchase with in-game currency, car dollars or whatever they're called, I forget. <laughs> and uh, you need 500 coins. of them to get a car. Uh, you unlock about 30 of these car bucks Per race some races don't even give them to you and so do the math there it takes a little while to unlock one thing which you open and you might even get a duplicate when you open it so doing that gives you a chance to sell it back or trash it for parts we can you you can use for upgrades if you want to buy cars individually there's a shop that are like they're like 1200 or more uh car bucks each day <laughs> and it's it's a, it's a grind to get them like i'm not i'm not mm. gonna lie like i think that's like one of my biggest sort of like uh, gripes about this game is that it is so much fun. The gameplay is so awesome. The cars are gorgeous. They're really fun to customize. It's got this really awesome sort of action figure or like, you know, blind box approach to it, which I, I dig. It's, it scratches a lot of sort of like very primal, you know, kid collecting toys sort of things in my head. Totally. And I just wish it was a little bit easier to get the cars. I wish that like, I don't think it's like Battlefront 2 at launch bad or anything like that, but I do hope the developers take note of just like how kind of grindy it is right now. Um, and they, they Does drop. that mean like it takes yeah. a while to get the DeLorean? Yeah. Yeah. And it'll That's be, a bummer. Yeah. I will, I will say a, a good aspect of it is that you, well, good and I guess bad since it's a grind, it almost makes you want mm -hmm. to be able to, but there's no the real world money that you have to pay to get any of the, the cars. Okay. It wouldn't be bad to be able to kind of pay if you really, really wanted one, but at least yeah. like to, to Brian's point that these aren't um, like, these are blind boxes. Essentially 
you're never being asked to pay five dollars to get a blind box there's there's right. nothing like that so at least it is all in game but i agree with you i've i've been loving the game uh my girlfriend has been creating amazing custom versions of the cars you can you can customize your own cars but it is taken a while to get more than four or five cars in my garage mm-hmm. <laughs> um one one thing i do love about this game a lot is uh the boost feature um every every game has sort of like that nitro boost button and most yeah. racing games either give them to you after a successful power slide mario kart or uh just let you use basically three per race right and they're finite here um depending on how you're racing you're constantly filling up these circles and successful power slides fill them up faster. So you can boost like tons of times per race. So like the, mm-hmm. the the faster you're going, the more you're power sliding, the better you're playing, the more your boost is is filling up. And you're just like constantly in this zen groove of just like constantly going faster and faster and faster, which I, I, I totally love. It's got this awesome arcade feel to it. I recently played uh, Cruise and Blast on Switch. And that was that was really fun, too. And so this has been a really cool month out of nowhere for kind of like vintage arcade racing style games. Um, And this this game is stunning, too. And it's got some really fun courses. Yeah. Yeah. I I did not expect a Hot Wheels game would be the game. One of the games this year where the most I went, oh, wow, this is beautiful. But yeah, it is us playing on PS5. It is a surprisingly gorgeous game. Uh, And yeah, as Brian said, it's a really fun racer. I agree. The, The grind, I think, is the biggest problem. There will be. Uh, as mentioned in the interview post launch uh both paid for uh like season passes as well as free unlockable cars and and sort of seasons of things that you can uh you know unlock as you go so there will be a, a balance of those things to come as well but uh I, I do have a question yeah dual sense support what's what's the haptics with the uh, adaptive triggers look like cuz that's my big thing if you got good haptics i'm in that's mm-hmm. how dirt 5 got me no, totally. It's um, I, I would actually say it's not like super noticeable. You can feel okay. the engine a bit, I would say, in the triggers. Brian, I don't know if you've been playing on PS5 or, or elsewhere, mm-hmm. but um, it's it's not been something that like blew me away necessarily. OK, it, it feels a little bit more subtle. It, it kind of feels like standard rumble to emulate the engine. Uh, the feel of pushing in the the right trigger to go kind of has a little bit of give to it because you're you're pushing in to push the pedal. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know how cars work because I can't drive. Um, no, I good, think you nailed it. Nothing like out of this world. I, uh, yeah. Interesting enough, I would suggest remapping the controls so that your uh, your gas isn't on the trigger. That's weirdly fair. enough, because it's you are just holding down the trigger the entire time, and it's just a lot, you know. It, yeah, it can be a lot. Um, yeah. But yeah, gen- generally really fun. Uh, you can go check out our full review on IGN for more. And uh, thank you again to the executive producer of Hot Wheels Unleashed for taking the time to talk with me. I'm, I'm really excited to see what they add to the game as it goes. Uh, last but not least, to just briefly mention uh, before we have to wrap up, uh, Brian, I know you've been playing a little bit and I've been playing Joseph. I'm not sure if you have, but uh, Castlevania Advance Collection. Uh, I have is not, out. no. Uh, I have yelled about wanting this game for years and then they finally surprised us with it in the PlayStation Direct. Uh, this is a compilation of Circle of the Moon, Harmony of Dissonance, and Aria of Sorrow. I, I could have said any words, and it probably would have sounded like a Castlevania title. I would have um, believed you. Those are the three GBA games, as well as, I think, Dracula X, which is yeah. an, a much older Castlevania. Um, those three GBA ones were the the way I was introduced to Castlevania. Uh, and I have such fond memories of playing 
the GBA on car rides with the like magnifying light attachment that you would put over the screen to be able to see it in the dark, but it still barely was noticeable, especially Circle of the Moon is a very dark game at points. Um, yep. But I've, I loved these games. These was like, they were foundational in my love of Metroidvanias. And so I'm so happy to have them. Uh, I'm playing through chronologically, so I'm still in Circle of the Moon. It's been nice to revisit them. I There's this weird debate that suddenly is retroactively saying some of them are bad. I don't know about that. I'm enjoying them. But Brian, I, I, as a, I, I think even a bigger Castlevania fan, I wanted to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I've been playing Castlevania games since the NES. Um, uh, you know, Symphony of the Night, one of my favorite games ever made. Phenomenal, phenomenal game. Joseph, I don't know if you played that. I am not a Castlevania person at all. Every, I know. I'm I surprised because you love Bloodborne. Shame. This is it's so much of the similar DNA. I, and and that's what gets me very excited about these. I'm actually very much debating hopping into uh, these games because mm. of my love of Bloodborne. Well, it's I th- not to be a salesman here. It's I think it's 20 bucks. It's oh, yeah, it's only 20 bucks for all it's four. Like, okay. I, I bought this instantly without even thinking about it. Yeah. Um, but I'm playing through chronologically as well. I'm trying to 100 percent each map. Apologies to new games. <laughs> I guess that's yep. my excuse. I'm playing stuff from like, literally 20 years ago. Um. Circle the Moon is awesome. Uh, if you want to play, if you want to sort of relive what it was like to play the game on GBA, um, go into your TV settings, turn the brightness all the way down to basically nothing, and then hold the flashlight and point it at the screen. That's that's GBA mode. Um, that's how we uh, play it, yeah. It's a podcast beyond exclusive. No, please don't <laughs> play the game like that. No, these, these games are gorgeous. Play them in pixel perfect mode. Um, turn off the uh, settings that pop up uh, a description of... There's like a weird card that pops up every time oh, yeah, you hit an yeah. enemy. Turn that off. Um, I would also suggest remapping the controls so they're the two directly under your thumb diagonally and not across. Um, that said, these are excellent, excellent, excellent games. Um, I'm I'm sort of crushing through them in antici- anticipation of Metroid Dread, which is next week. Because um, yes. I, I just, yeah, I love these games. I think they're so great. They're really awesome uh, features. Each Each game has its own sort of gimmick that goes with it. And I mean that in kind of a good way. Um, there's definitely a little bit of like Goldilocks porridge, too cold, too hot, just right with these three games. I think Aria of Sorrow is perfect. Yeah. Um, and then the other two are kind of flawed, but still really, really fun. But yeah, I, I think they hold up tremendously well. I'm cheesing the hell out of the rewind feature. I'm old and I don't care. I've beaten these games before. Don't judge me. Um, but yeah, they're they're excellent, excellent games. If you haven't played them, which you might not have, because maybe if you're an old school PlayStation fan, you didn't own a GBA when they launched. And these games are actually pretty expensive to buy in card form. Um, please check this collection out. I implore you. Also, all of the old Castlevanias are on sale right now as well. I believe yeah. you can get the original Castlevania collection for five bucks. So this is a good time to just start collecting the Castlevania games, put them in there for a rainy day. Spooky month is here. Halloween is here. <laughs> right. Play some Castlevania. There is also, I believe, a. I'm trying to look it up, so sorry if you hear my uh, keyboard clacking, but I believe a Symphony of the Night and Rondo of Blood double pack as well, in addition to those mm. collections. So, yeah, there's a, no shortage of classic Castlevania that you can access on PlayStation, and you absolutely should. Um, before we wrap up, I do, of course, want to make some time for our uh, segment Memory Card, which is where you, the viewers and listeners at home, write in with your sad, weird, happy, wacky, whatever memories of your PlayStation gaming life, and we read those on the show. You can write in to beyond at IGN.com. Thank you to everyone who's been writing in. I have a few uh, that we'll be reading in the weeks to come. But Joseph, since you're yeah. our guest on the show this week, I wanted to open the floor to you. Uh, is there any sort of PlayStation memory you wanted to share with the audience? Yes. Um, so 
before the show, we talked about how I used to work at GameStop. That was my big thing back in the mid uh, 2000s. And during that time, I've always been just to let the viewers know, lucky enough to have all the consoles. So I never had this like console allegiance of which I have to fight and die on the sword for. Um, so like as a kid, like my abuela would bought a PlayStation one just so we could go over to her house. <laughs> that was, that was the selling point. PS two was my platform system as a kid. And when it came to the PS three era is my biggest time without a PlayStation. It wasn't until I was working at GameStop one day and some guy came in. And if you work retail, you know what I'm talking about. He wants to trade in his console for cash. He has none of the wires, none of the controllers. Nothing. He's like, can I just sell this? And I'm like, being a bad employee, don't do this. <laughs> I was just like, well, I'm, it's my lunch break. I'll buy it off you for 80 bucks. And I bought this guy's PS3. You bought it yourself? Cleaned it up. Yeah. Oh. Oh, wow. Again, I, sh I should have been fired there. Don't do this. Not too much. <laughs> I'm not going to judge you. I <laughs> Good. <laughs> a PlayStation exec's like, find this man. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I turned to my friend. I was like, okay, I've been out of the game for so long here. What's the game I need to get? And he goes, Uncharted 2. I'm like, we're skipping one. He's like, skip one, go for two. The first 30 minutes of playing that game, I was blown away. I was like, there's what is this i've never played anything like it and it was that point that solidified me as playstation is going to be my predominant place where i play and oddly enough at this time it was 2011 i believe during the playstation blackout mm -hmm. so while everybody oh. was furious up in arms going where's you know, where's my online i was actually falling in love with the playstation <laughs> ecosystem and i got a free you know, a little big plan out of that. And because of that blackout era, I tuned into my first episode of Beyond, and it's been history ever since. Right. That was a big deal back then. Yeah. The right? yeah, yeah. blackout uh, episode I remember very well listening mm -hmm. to back in the day. Yeah. yeah. And and that's and and since that day, I've been a fan since every iteration. It's been an awesome experience. It's why it's such a full circle moment right here where I'm just sitting down watching y'all talk and like awesome <laughs> no it's 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 been awesome having you on also you reminded me that uh uncharted 2 probably has i mean we should rank these one day but probably one of the best openings of any video game ever i'll fight you know? i'll so, fight with you on that right like that is yeah. that is seriously up there just those opening moments that opening area with nathan drake climbing up the train is just there's really not like man i i can't think of a game that i played up until that point that just was immediately that harrowing and cinematic and just just a, a gut punch of just like okay here we are wow yeah. we're doing this when it, and, it go ahead joseph oh no and, and like that the train sequence you're like what well, like in in the mid 2000s that is breaking again it broke my brain i'm like how are they doing this mm -hmm. magic yeah. i hope <laughs> uh yeah that that opening i think is it <sighs> openings are so often like hamstrung by having to tutorialize everything and there's obviously a little bit of tutorialization in there to get you used to the controls but it's in such a climactic moment of what the hell do i like i need to get out of this and it it just blends that like needing to introduce people to playing a game and introducing a really engrossing story just so um so i'm i'm glad it was there to entertain you while the rest of us were freaking out about not being able to log in 
uh, to download. Yeah, I was literally album. the meme of the dog where everything's on fire and I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, honestly, as a predominantly single player gamer at the time, I was like, I don't see what the big deal is. Yeah. I got it. I got it. I understand why people were mad. Um, but I, I kept trying to log into the mag servers and I... <laughs> Um, but no, Joseph, thank you so much for sharing that story. And thank you for being on the show. Um, as we, we wrap up, I know you mentioned it at the top of the show, uh, but where can people find, uh, the trophy room to listen to if they want to hear more from you? Yeah. Well, again, thank you all for having me. This has been a blast. It's great. To have and, you. uh, for some reason, the last five minutes, they're like, we're going to drag race on your street and break <laughs> all your types of your concentration. So I apologize to the audience, but no you can find me over at Mr. Badbit on Twitter. You can find the trophy room on Twitter at PS trophy room, and you can find the trophy room, uh, a PlayStation podcast where yet again, each and every Thursday, me and my best friend, Kyle, talk about the latest, the greatest in all things PlayStation. Uh, and you can find us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, google play and by the time this episode's out guess what our new episode will be out too so you know you could double dip if you liked my voice you'd be like i want to hear more of this guy and if you're not i'm so sorry he's got a great voice you I, you'd a be great voice. denying really? yourself yeah you have a great yeah. voice a All great right. a okay. great pitch and a great voice mm-hmm. um, but yeah joseph thank you so much for joining us this week it was great to have you on and yeah definitely recommend people go check out the trophy room if they haven't already uh brian before we wrap up as well anything you want to point people toward that you've been working on recently uh we're doing a bunch of uh that show cannon fodder which is basically deep dives in a you know popular things at the time we did one for star wars vision which is super fun if Ooh. you haven't seen it star wars visions i'm sorry really cool show mm-hmm. uh we're also doing one for venom 2 and many saints of newark um <laughs> as well as uh i did a far cry 6 let's play with max scoville um showing off a bunch of like the animal friends in that game and things get really crazy so that's coming up very soon too very very excited for that game so yeah, keep nice. a lookout for some cool stuff coming up. Awesome. Uh, and you can find Brian on Twitter at Agent Bizzle. Uh, and I'm at JM Dormish on Twitter. Definitely want to point people to, uh, as I mentioned last week, our IGN 25th anniversary content is still going on all the way through this week. Uh, we have a ton of really awesome pieces across movies and TV and games. Uh, the one that went up today, not PlayStation related, but it's fantastic. It is a look at the legacy of the Wii and how it's probably most surprisingly it's music. Uh, and Joe Scrabbles from our news team, our UK team, did a phenomenal job uh, researching and talking to people about its legacy, the Wii, the Wii music, not the game, the, you know, music on, on all of the menus and such. Uh, it's a really great piece. Definitely go check it out. And then Friday for PlayStation players, uh, I have another Art of the Level going up like our Ghost of Tsushima one. Uh, this is one about The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, I won't spoil what aspect of it, but we spoke to some of the devs from Naughty Dog. Uh, I watched in a cut of it earlier this morning. It's, it's shaping up to be really, really great. So if you enjoyed uh, the Ghost Art of the Level, you'll probably enjoy this one too. Uh, By the way, yes. fantastic. Seriously, Thank seriously. You so much. That needs to be all the series. Appreciate yes. it. <laughs> it is one of the most fun things I've, I've had putting together these last two episodes, and it's, it's what I want to keep making. So if you enjoy it out there, uh, please watch this one. Please share them. Uh, it goes a long way to making us have a reason to keep uh, telling people we want to do these. Um, so they're, you got you to do Bloodborne next, man. You got to get from yes. talk, talk about that first street with 50 dudes on it. The first, yeah, man, that's, that's a really good one. Okay. Uh, Red, scrap that from the, the video. We're going to pitch them on that before anyone else does. <laughs> um, but no, thank you all so much for watching. That's going to wrap us up for this week's episode. Thank you again to Brian and Joseph for joining me for this week's episode. And thank you to Red, our producer, for putting the show together and making it all happen. And thank you to everyone out there for listening and watching. We hope you're safe. We hope you're well. And as always, beyond. Beyond. Beyond.
Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L.